Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. We're continuing our series in the hard sayings of Jesus. This is the, the last week, not to say there's not a whole lot of other hard sayings of Jesus, but we, we've tried our best to, to wrestle with the three of them. So the first one about this idea of this language of being shamelessly audacious in our approach to God. doesn't seem that that's the way you should approach God, but... Uh, it's Jesus says, yes, be shameless and audacious in your approach. Last week we looked at uh, let the bed, dead bury your dead. It was about discipleship. It was about going into an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And it might mean discomfort. It might mean uh, being out of sync with the, with the rest of the world. Today, looking at do not swear an oath. The uh, Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar, is an exploration of what it means to be uncontrollably honest. Uh, Carrey is a character played by Carrey is a, is a lawyer and he lies as a business and he lies all the time. But uh, when he fails to turn up for his son's birthday party, the little boy has a birthday wish that his dad would only speak honestly. And so for a period of time, uh, Carey cannot tell a lie and it creates all sorts of humorous incidences in his workplace, particularly as he tries to live without uh, telling a lie. But it's, it's an interesting exploration as well of, of the, the, the way in society we will often use those little untruths in order to be able to manage, or so we think, to manage relationships. The idea of the little white lie. It's a lie but it's a, a little one and it's white because it's intended for good. And uh, they are often a part of our lives, particularly if you are a parent. Um, so, oh, of course, these are the best cupcakes I've ever tasted. Uh, a little white lie. Uh, uh, when will we get there? Oh, it'll be soon. Just close your eyes and when you open them, we will be there. Uh, of course, the, the classic one, uh, of course, it's the same goldfish. <laughs> Come on, how many have pulled that one off or tried to? But, but every, every relationship, it would seem, would depend on sometimes these little, little white lies, these little mistruths, these little pieces of dishonesty that enable us to, to function in relationships. But in this passage here, Jesus says, do not tell a lie. Do not swear uh, by anything. So it's in the, it's in the parable on the, of the, um, on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is uh, talking about a whole string of uh, issues, and uh, in the middle of it, he gets to, in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5, again, See, each one of these little sayings, he starts with again. Again, you have heard it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Everything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, Jesus is addressing here a practice of the day that had arisen whereby 
if you, wanted to, if you were going to make an arrangement with somebody and you didn't want to be absolutely truthful, rather than swearing your oath on the name of God, which was the, the highest thing, you'd swear it on something a little bit lower. So you say, on, on the temple, I promise that. Or on, on Jerusalem, I make this promise. And so they were setting their oath up on these, these lesser things. And, and Jesus is pushing back on that and saying, you know, it, whether it's by heaven or by Jerusalem or by the earth, uh, don't do that. Just to make your word be your word. Let your yes be your yes. Uh, now, the problem with interpreting this literalistically is it, it, it has a couple of problems. One, one is there's this group called the Puritans who were from Britain and ended up in the United States. And, and reading this absolutely literally, they refused to make the oaths in court. So you might know, if you, even to this day, if you go to court, they will give you a Bible and ask you to put your hand on it and to swear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you reply, so help me God. You don't have to do that, but you have that, that option. That the Puritans refused to do that because they were saying that was contrary to Jesus' teaching in this passage. But really, they were missing the point. By being literalistic, they were missing the point of what Jesus is actually saying here. And there's a couple of reasons why that's the case. And it's because we don't just swear an oath when we're in, in court verbally. Every day, most of us make commitments, often in writing. In those days where it was a non-literal society, you made this sort of public verbal oath very frequently. Any, any sort of transaction you were doing, you would make this verbal oath. Nowadays, we're far more likely to, to make a written oath, which is called a contract. And they are both, the thing they share in common is they are both witnessed words. When you made a public oral oath in the past or when you're in court now, you are making a public declaration before other people that what you say is the truth. When you are signing a contract and making a truthful statement in a contract or an affidavit, there are witnesses. Somebody has to actually witness the document, which makes it again a public word. And so for the Puritans to just say, oh, well, they're upholding Jesus' teaching by not making a, a, public, a public vow in court. But then if they stepped out the courthouse and told a lie, they were breaking Jesus' commandment here just as much. And of course, the thing is that even Jesus did make a vow. Uh, at his trial, when he's standing before the Sanhedrin, uh, he was silent until, in, in, in verse 63... Uh, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus, for the first time, speaks during the trial. Under oath, he says, you have said so. And Jesus goes on. Paul, in his epistles, writes five times he makes an oath under, under the name of the Lord. And then even God himself makes an oath. I swear by myself, says the Lord in Genesis 22:16. And so if, if, Jesus, if Jesus is saying don't make an oath, and, and in every situations in the Bible where even he himself takes an oath, how are we to interpret what he says there in Matthew chapter 5? And what it boils down to, it's about being true to your word. 
in whatever context you're in, whether you're in court making a public oath or whether you're signing a contract or whether you're walking down the streets, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. You don't need to go to a higher court. You don't need to make an appeal to God or Jerusalem or the temple or anything else. Just make your yes be yes and your no be no. And Jesus gives, implies at least three reasons why we should do that and why we should follow that practice. The first is because a lot of little lies build up to a mountain of lies. And to be honest, as we think about lying on the moral scale that we sometimes create in our mind, it, it rates a fair way down, doesn't it? So there's murder and, and rape and, and violence and, and corruption and all those things. And we're a fair way down this before we say lying is, is not an important thing. Uh, and, and in that way, we become a little bit like the frog in the kettle. Uh, we, 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 we are like, you know, apparently, apparently, I've never done this one, but... I was probably tempted to as a boy. Uh, you, you put a, a, a frog in a, in a kettle in a, in, a, in a saucepan full of cold water, and as you heat the water up gradually, the, the frog doesn't notice, and eventually the water gets so hot the poor thing dies. And I don't know if that's what truly happens. Don't try it at home. But, but that's the idea that the frog in the kettle is the, 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 that we live in a society where you might live in a home, you might live in a particular context where the lies are just there all the time and they're building up and they're building up and before you realise it, you're a liar. And, and, and you're lying as, as, a, as a common practice in your life. But Jesus is saying here that, that the battle for truthfulness, the battle for truthfulness begins with the little white lie. And it's as we do these little lies, one on top of another, that eventually they turn into big lies and eventually they turn into major issues in our life and a major corrupting force in the world in which we live. Second reason Jesus is implying let your less be yes is because God is watching all of our lives. The... the, uh, Practice of the time of, of uh, you know, vowing by, the, by heaven. Uh, so he says in verse 34, But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either in heaven, for it is God's throne. So if you swear by heaven, you're swearing before God. God is your witness, because heaven is his throne. Or by earth, for it is his footstool. God is present in the earth as well and oversees what's going on. Or in Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. And so Jesus is saying, look, don't, just don't be a, a false witness anywhere because God is watching you wherever you are. So imagine tomorrow if, if you knew that everything you did was going to be covered by, by a closed circuit TV. Uh, every, every little lie you told, every little falsity you did, and at Tuesday night at 7pm, it was going to be screened on a current affair. What's your, what's your Monday? Do you think your Monday might be a little bit different if you knew that every moment was going to be recorded? Well, it's actually worse than that because it's not a camera that's watching you. It's God who is watching us. And it gets even worse than that because he not only sees what we do, And he not only sees what we say, he sees what we think. 
And the discrepancy between those three is even perhaps greater than the difference between what we say and what we do. And so we're dealing here with something very serious, aren't we? Because it is our judge and our God who witnesses everything we do, moment by moment. And so Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. The third reason implied here is the, for being true to our words is because it brings a simplicity to life. If you have ever got told lies, you can know things can get very complicated as you try and cover up and try and maintain the story. And this is the, the plot of most um, American TV sitcoms. You know, somebody tells one lie and then they have to tell another lie to, to cover it up. And then another one, another one, another one. Eventually it gets so complicated they, they fall off the perch. And, and our lives can become a little bit like that when there is this discontinuity between what we think and what we say and what we do, we have to be constantly working to maintain that that looks consistent. But actually what we want to do is have integrity. The word integrity comes from integer, which is a number which cannot be divided. And, and we are meant to be whole and we're meant to be consistent we are meant to be undivided and indivisible. There should be no disconnection between what we think, what we say, and what we do. And one of the amazing things about Jesus is that he had absolute integrity. And he was brutally honest. It came from his compassion. But if you asked Jesus a question or you did something in front of Jesus, you heard exactly what he was thinking. There were no filters as we'd say today. But it meant he lived with absolute integrity. He didn't have to ever pretend to be something other than himself. He never had to cover up a disconnection between what he was thinking, what he was saying, and what he was doing. And we see even that the perfect integrity linked here in his saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that's exactly the way he lived. That's exactly the way he related to everybody he met. He told them the way it was. He lived with absolute integrity. And so he's saying to his, his listeners, let be yes be yes, and let your no be no. And that's because truthfulness is at the heart of the kingdom of God. Justice is at the heart of the kingdom of God. But that is in sharp contrast to the way we often live and the way that those around us might be living. And it leads to the sorts of conversations that go like, I thought you said you were committed to this business. Where are you going? Why so soon? I thought you were committed to this marriage. Where are you going? Why are you leaving so soon? I thought you were committed to this relationship, but now I've shared something a little bit difficult with you. Where are you going? Why are you leaving so soon? The, the, the spirit of the age is don't commit yourself to anything. Keep it vague. Keep your options open. Don't make your yes absolute. Don't make your no absolute. And so we, we end up with the scenario of, of people living together rather than getting married. Perhaps close to home, we, get, we end up with the scenario of people wanting to join be part of a church without committing themselves to church membership. 
We get people in relationships who are, are committed to one another, but as soon as anything gets a little bit difficult, they're out of there. The, the, the relationship is, is over. That type of attitude of, oh, I'm sorry to hurt you, but I've got to do what's best for me. Sorry, sorry to disappoint you. Sorry to, to break my commitment, but my goodness me, it's, I've got to keep my options open. This is, the, this is the only way I'm going to be happy is if I pursue this sort of, inf- this, have to have this flexibility. I can't commit myself to anything because it might make me unhappy. And that's no way to live. Instead, the kingdom of God says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be committed to something and stick by that commitment. That's the essence of justice. That's the essence of righteousness. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Now, for some of you, that's freaking you out. Perhaps it's freaked you out before and as you hear it again now you're freaking out perhaps you never thought about it before and thought if that's what it means to be a Christian if that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God you're going to have to count me out because I can't maintain that standard of honesty I can't have that level of integrity either I've learnt the habits of being a deceiver or I'm in a context where I don't think I can live like that But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not about pretending to be good. The gospel is about being realistic about your sinfulness and seeking God's forgiveness in the midst of that. That the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't get that. And some of Jesus' very blunt statements uh, when you read the gospels to the religious leaders are because he had integrity and he always said what he thought. But he was very keen to confront this essential misunderstanding about the kingdom of God and about the gospel. And, and there's a particularly powerful story he tells in, in Matthew 21, uh, 28 to 32, where, where the uh, religious leaders are coming to him and giving him a hard time and saying, look, you're being too lax. In verse 28 of, of Matthew 21, he says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind, and as the Greek is repent, and he went. Then the father went to another son, and he said the same thing. He answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted. The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you righteous, self-righteous religious leaders. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And so the one thing that Jesus is asking them to do is to be honest about your dishonesty. It wasn't the one, it wasn't the son who pretended to be good who got into the kingdom. It was the son who recognized he had done the wrong thing, repented of it, and then went and did what he was called to do. 
That is the gospel. That is the wonder of grace. The only thing Jesus wants you to be honest about is your dishonesty. The only way he can save us from our sins is if we are first honest about them. And the only thing that damns us to hell is if we are dishonest about our our dishonesty. And so this morning, it's a good opportunity for us again to stop and say, Jesus, I can't meet that standard. And Jesus' response is, I'm glad you've realised that. Because then we can repent and enter in the kingdom. And then the Holy Spirit begins his wonderful work in us, transforming us into the likeness of his Son and helping us to reach the levels of honesty and purity and justice that he calls us to. But you don't get there by pretending to be holy. You get there by acknowledging our sinfulness and then receiving God's grace. So let's do that together now. Father, we thank you that you are pure and holy, that you have absolute integrity. And we thank you, Lord, that when Jesus came to earth, he demonstrated that integrity and that it jars us because it should jar us to see somebody operating with absolute integrity, to saying to to thinking and saying and doing to be all perfectly aligned. And we thank you that when we read the Gospels, we see what the standard is. And so, Lord, we come before you today in humility and repentedness. We acknowledge that we are the people of the lie, that our natural instinct is to be untruthful. Our natural instinct is to, to, to separate what we think from what we say and from what we do. And that because of that, we sit condemned before you this morning. But Lord, we want to be like the first son who initially rejects but then repents and goes and does what is right. And we thank you, Lord, that that is the grace that you offer us to this morning as well. That if we come before you with honesty, that we are dishonest that you accept our our offer and, and, and you bless us with forgiveness. And Lord, that then you can begin the act, the transformation of our lives into being the likeness of our Saviour Jesus. So we thank you for your gospel, its beauty and its simplicity and its power. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.